in the 29th chapter. I'm going to read a couple of verses and we will cover the 30th chapter tonight. But Proverbs 29, <clears throat> a couple of verses. Amen. Proverbs 29 and 1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Then verse 18, Where there is no vision, and that's talking about a prophetic vision. Where there is no vision, say no vision. Or prophetic vision. The people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Amen. Shows you the importance of having a vision. Praise God. Amen. Prophetic vision. Believe that. Okay, chapter 30, verse 1. He have the prophecy then given. <clears throat> chapter 30, verse 1. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob. Even the prophecy, say the prophecy. The man spake unto Ithael, even unto Ithael and Ukul. Okay. So there is a prophecy here. So we see where no vision is, there is, uh, where no prophetic vision is, the people perish. But now we have the prophecy. Amen. Amen. That will help us. Okay. Verse 2. Surely I am more brutish than any man and have not the understanding of a man. Now I will not read all of these verses. I will cover them uh, verse by verse. But go over please <laughs> to... Verse 11 of chapter 30. There is a generation. Say, a generation. So it is a specific generation. It's not a general statement. Okay, it is a specific generation. So it is an end, the end time generation. The end time generation. So this prophecy then is for us. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. So we have the, the apathy of a generation here. Now we have the antidote given. Okay, right here, beginning with verse 15. The horse leech hath two daughters crying, Give, give. That's interesting, isn't it? How can that be an antidote to apathy? The horse leech has two daughters and these two daughters cry, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. Now remember, this is prophetic. Okay? The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. That statement right there in those verses, verse 15 and 16, give you the remedy for what was said in verses 11 through 14 concerning a generation, an end-time generation that is going to be a generation that is very apathetic. And to be apathetic means there is a lack 
of a response. A lack of emotional response to the things of God. Apathy then is a spiritual problem that can get a hold of us in the end time. So again, this is a prophetic message to an end time church uh, about not allowing ourselves to become what is described in those verses concerning that generation. So this word tonight is going to bless you. It is going to strengthen you. It's going to open your eyes. It's going to help you. Uh, the concern that I have right now in this season, okay, and I mean big. My wife will tell you big. My big concern is the apathy of the church. And I'm talking about this one. <laughs> okay? I'm not talking about any other church. I'm talking about this one. I'm talking about the lack of an emotional response spiritually to the things of God. Okay? And I'm not saying that this is the only church that goes through this, but I'm just telling you there's an end time church, a generation that's going to experience apathy. And so what God does is He steps in and He gives us the answer. So going back to what I was saying, my concern for this church is the apathy, the lack of emotional response that's getting a hold of us, okay? Now, I've been battling with this since I got back. My wife will tell you that. It, it, I'm extremely disappointed. I'm discouraged. And I know I'm not supposed to. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm disappointed and I'm discouraged until last night. When God gave me this word and showed this to me, it filled me with so much peace and strength and encouragement and direction. That's what we need. Without a vision, the people perish. If we don't have a prophetic revelation from God about the times that we're living in, we will perish. But when God comes and gives us revelation, he gives us strength and He gives us life and He gives us victory. Hallelujah. And we have the ability to change the apathy because He's given us the answer. Okay? Now, I know I'm not supposed to talk to you like that, but I'm just going to be real with you. Okay? So, but God is faithful. God gives us a prophetic word the last days of what we need to hear. So, I'm going to tell you, every one of you tonight, the word that I'm going to preach to you is a word right now for this season. It's a word for you. It's a word for everybody in this house. Okay? Okay? Say praise the Lord. It's going to encourage you. It's going to strengthen you. It's hopefully rekindle the fire that's in you. Amen? We all need it. And at times I'm apathetic. So I'm not just pointing a finger at you. I'm apathetic at times. I, I lack the proper emotional response in living for the Lord. That means sometimes my emotions are not what they should be. I just shared a few of them with you. Okay? So we need this tonight. I need it more than you do. But I'm telling you that God has the answer for every dilemma, every challenge, every battle that we face. And I'm thankful tonight for His awesome Word. So we have the prophecy. Amen. Father, we thank you for your awesome word tonight. We ask you to bless, to strengthen, to help, to encourage, to, to rekindle the fire within this church, God, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. 
serving the Lord, you you know, you have to have a uh, a desire, a passion for God. And there are so many things in this world that come and try to cool you off, take your passion, take your victory, come against you, a lot of battles. You're sitting in a miracle church. If this church was not a church that is of God, it would no longer exist. It has been attacked. It has come under heavy, heavy battles through the years, over 20 years. Heavy battles. Intense battles. Sometimes things you don't know if you're going to be able to get through or not, but God because this church belongs to the Lord. I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost that this church is a miracle church. Because if the enemy would have had his way, the doors would have been shut years and years and years ago. Amen. So I'm thankful tonight that I'm preaching to a miracle church. And greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Amen. If I promise you, if it wasn't God's, if it wasn't God's church, It'd been the doors would be shut. That's just the way it is. We're depending on God. Amen? And I, and I know that you are as well. But you also know the challenges that come against you in life. The battles, the disappointments, the discouragements that you have that cause you to become apathetic where you don't care anymore. Where you lose your passion. You don't have the proper emotion anymore in the things of God. See, this is a problem we have. The Bible talks about in the last days that we would, people would be losing their first love. Lose their first love. That love for God. Amen? Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many would grow cold. So there's a lot of attack right now. And we, we need to hear from God, but we have. We have. And, and so we can live by the word of the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> so we can end up like chapter 29 verse 1. He that been often reproved, that means constantly corrected. If you harden your neck when you're corrected, the Bible says you shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. That means there can come a time in your life where you constantly reject the Word of God. You harden, you stiffen up, you rebel against the Word of God. And there'll come a time when you don't expect it and God will come and cut you off and there'll be no remedy. That means there will not be time for you to repent. Now, I don't believe anybody in here wants to end up like this. But we need to listen to the Word of God. So what we need is a prophetic word from the Lord. Verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We need that prophetic word coming to us. And receiving that word with meekness when we hear it. Amen. And not just hearing it, but responding to it. Investing our life into that. Investing your emotion to it. Hey, hallelujah. Hearing it. We have to get to a place in our life, if you're a young person tonight, you have to ask yourself the question, is the God that I serve my mama's God and my daddy's God? Because some of you might hear tonight, you might be a young person and you just go to church just because mom and dad does. So the question for you tonight, is your God your mommy and your daddy's God? Or is he your God? Now it can be both ways. It can be mom and dad's God and it can be your God as well. 
But the question is, are you here tonight just because mom and dad want you here? Or is God your God? Do you walk with Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Amen. Do you live for Him? Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. Amen. So we see here in, the, in chapter 30, the Bible tells us the words of Agur. He is going to speak these words to a couple of his disciples, a couple of his sons, if you will, uh, of wisdom, his students, if you will. And now who is Agur? Who is Agur? Who is that? Well, it could be a, just a man that Solomon is referring to here that was a wise man that had a prophetic word for the last days. Or it's, it could be Solomon himself. The Jewish Talmud says that one of the names of Solomon was Agur. Now, it's interesting, that wasn't his literal name, but it was a symbolic name that was given to him. The word Agur means one who gathers. It also means one that fears the Lord. So Agur then was basically a nickname for King Solomon, who's called the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus Christ. So Agur, the one who gathers Solomon, the Bible says the son of Jacob. Who is Jacob here? Jacob was probably David, another nickname. David's was, <laughs> David had a name, but he had a nickname. And his name, Jacob, means to be obedient or the obedient one. So he begins here, and I believe again these are just code words or code names, nicknames for Solomon and King David. He said, the words of Agur, the gatherer, the son of Jacob, the obedient one. Even the prophecy, so this is prophetic. The man spake unto Ithael, even unto Ithael and Ukul. So we have then Agur, which is Solomon, the son of Jacob, which I believe was David. And he speaks this prophecy to Ithiel and Ukul. What, what unusual names. Ithiel and Ukul. Now, they could be literal people. They could be the, these the names of actual students of Solomon. Or they could also be nicknames. Because Ithiel means God is with me. And you think about it Sunday night, what the Lord had us preach to you, that God is with us. He's with us in His incarnation. He's with us in building His church. And He's with us in the mission of the church. And that's what God had us to hear Sunday night. And then about not taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. And now tonight, Wednesday once again, which I didn't even know, we have a reference in the Word of God in the Old Testament that tells you that God is with you. God is with us. Ithiel. And then Ukul. Say Ukul. God gives me ability or I'm able in the Lord. So we have Agur, the gatherer, who is the son of the obedient one, who is speaking to two of his students. Ithiel, God is with me. And Ukul, my ability is in God. With God, I'm able to do it. And it's a prophecy that he speaks to these students. And so before he gets into these pro this prophecy, he talks about himself. And here's what he says in verse 2. Surely I am more brutish than any man and have not the understanding of a man. Do you hear that? 
I mean, we have Solomon. Now, this could have been written by Solomon, Agur, when he first became king, okay? When God first anointed him, and he didn't have a lot of wisdom at that time. Obviously, he's grown in wisdom, you know, as he's gotten older. But at that time, he didn't have a lot of wisdom. But I don't know what it was written, but to say, you know, at the very least, he's humble at this point. Because he said, I am brutish, more brutish than any man and have not the understanding of a man. Now, that's humility. Because Solomon was a very wise man. For him to write these proverbs like he did, he had to be extremely wise, but he said, I don't have the knowledge of a man. He said, I'm a brutish man. That humility that he had, he said, verse 3, I neither learn wisdom nor have I the knowledge of the holy. Amen. Now, obviously, when, when you look at David, King David, his father, Jacob, the obedient one, and everything that David accomplished, the order that he set in the kingdom, the victories he won as a king, the prophetic utterances that he uttered in the Psalms and other areas of the Scripture, this giant of a man named David, and here Solomon, his son, is walking in his shadow. And so Solomon is probably comparing himself to David. And he says, I don't even come close to that man. I don't even come close to the accomplishments of that man. And so he, he is hum, he's very humble here, but I believe that he, he believes that he's not even close to what David was. And so he goes on and he says, what I've learned, he said, I neither learn wisdom nor have I knowledge of the holy. He said, I, what I do have, it has to come from God. Because I don't have wisdom. He said, I don't have wisdom. I don't have knowledge. I believe he did. But this humility that he had, and he's speaking this to his two students. He's, I'm hearing the Holy Ghost. See, why would he say this? If this whole thing is going to to show us how to overcome the lack of desire or the lack of passion, how to overcome an apathetic spirit where we don't have emotional response to the spiritual things of God, would it not be proper for him to start talking about his need? How he looks at himself and has a desire to be more than what he was? In his, in his estimation of himself, he says, I don't have wisdom. I haven't learned wisdom. I don't have the knowledge of the holy. I'm the most brutish man there is. That to me sounds like a man who is humbling himself before God and, and has a passion to be more than what he is. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but he never lost evidently. Now I know he... He sinned and got caught up in idolatry with all those foreign wives. I get that. But when he walked in wisdom, he understood that he needed God. He understood his own, own humanity and his own weakness and his own shortcomings. And, and so I hear the heart cry of this man at the beginning of this message that he has a passion to be more than he is. If you ever get to a place where you're satisfied, you will stop growing. This man was not satisfied with where he was. That means that he could continue to grow. Anybody 
dissatisfied where they, where they are, they will not continue to grow. They won't continue in their education. They won't continue in the knowledge of the Word of God. They won't continue seeking God because they feel like they've arrived. But David said, I will not be satisfied until I awake in his likeness. And so this man, even though he was as wise, wise enough to sit down and write a prophecy to his students, he basically said, I'm nothing. I don't know anything. What I do know comes from God. He had a passion for God. He never allowed himself to become apathetic and ho-hum like this and, and bored with the things of God. Verse 4, he begins to talk about how great God is and the, with, with the mindset of the limitations of man, the greatness of God. When you put yourself up, you compare yourself. If you're Solomon, compare yourself to King David. I mean, that will humble you. But if you're Solomon, you compare yourself to God. And the limitations you have as a human being to the greatness of your God. That puts it even on a higher level. The greatness of my God. And so in verse 4, he talks about how great God is. He said, Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath ascended up to heaven or descended? This is a prophecy. It has to be a prophecy because when did God as a spirit, the eternal spirit that's everywhere present, that knows everything and that has all power, when did God, the eternal spirit that's everywhere, ever ascend or descend? This is a prophecy about when God would come in the form of a man in Jesus Christ and he would uh, descend to the lower parts of the earth and then ascend being caught up into the heavens as a man. This prophecy, this man is going to say some things and he's talking about how he doesn't have knowledge. He hasn't learned wisdom, doesn't have the knowledge of the holy. And he starts talking about, listen, the prophecy that he gives in this chapter right here is so powerful. It is so deep. It is so vast. It is so large. You could write a book on that, this one chapter alone. He recognizes how great this God is. And he looks at God evidently showed him in the future. Well, he knew by the word of God that a virgin will, should be with a child. Would be with a child. He knew, even though he lived before Isaiah came, he knew according to Genesis chapter 3 and 15 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. He knew the prophecies about deity coming in flesh. He knew them by the word of God. Somehow he realized that when God comes in flesh that he would descend and he would ascend. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And then he goes on and he said, Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? God is so powerful and so great that he can gather the wind, this symbolic language, in his fist. That means that God can control the wind. He, he can tell the wind what direction to go. He can tell how, much, how powerful it's going to be. He controls the speed of the wind. He controls the direction of the wind. He controls where the wind's going to go and where it's not going to go. When Jonah ran from God, the Bible says God sent a wind. 
God knew exactly where Jonah was. And because he has the wind in his fist, he hurled the wind on the, on the boat of Jonah and caused the storm to come. That's the kind of God that we serve. You can catch a plane and you can fly through the wind. You can fly even through some hurricanes sometimes. You find the right area. But you can't control the wind. But God controls the wind. He tells what direction to go. He tells, tells it where to go. As we already told you we were in Taiwan. They prayed before we, we got there and the hurricane shifted and went a totally different direction from the mainland. It was a super hurricane and it changed directions. Amen? Then we got ready to come home. Another super typhoon was coming. They prayed again and it went a different direction. Why? Because they know that God has the wind in His fist. He controls the wind. Hallelujah. The direction of it, the power of it. He's in charge of the wind. What an awesome God. Who have bound the waters in a garment. That one statement right there is a message in and of itself. And I won't get into that because I'm going another direction tonight. But he, He's bound the waters in a garment. You think about the waves of the, of the sea, the waves of the oceans that come in with so, so much power. And again, pardon the reference, personal reference, but we were in Taiwan, we went to see the ocean. We saw the powerful waves coming in and beating against the rocks. And they had these huge, huge man-made rocks. I mean, they're about this tall, massive rocks to keep the water from getting inland. In case a big old flood comes and the waves begin to beat against the shore, they have these big massive rocks to try to control the waters. But the Bible tells that God, He takes the waters and puts them in a garment. He's in control of the waves of the sea. He's in control. And I'm telling you, you talk about powerful waves of the sea coming in and out. God, your God, my God, controls the waves of the sea. He's in charge of the waters. Like somebody would take a garment and uh, say you've got water flooding over into a boat. And somebody throws a garment down like a mop of some kind and gathers that water up in that garment. If a man can do that, the Bible says God is like that. He controls the waves of the sea. He controls like the waters in a garment. And there's a lot more to this and I'm not going to give that. But Jesus was the living water that came in flesh. He put it in garment. You are garments that have water in it to give to each other. God has that power to control the waters. Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is His name? He established the ends of the earth. When Solomon wrote this prophecy to his two students, he knew about Assyria. He knew about distant nations, you know, that we have recorded in the Bible. But he didn't know nothing about where the United States of America is. He, he didn't know about that. He didn't realize how vast this globe was, how large this globe was. Today, man has the ability to tell you how big the globe is, the circumference of the globe. We have that ability now. We have so much ability and knowledge and things like that. Now we're looking into the skies, into the heavens, and trying to figure out the heavens now. But in that day, they didn't have that kind of knowledge about the size of the globe. The Bible says this writer 
showing us the ability of God that God knows he has a knowledge of this globe he knew about distant lands that Solomon never heard of before he knew all about it that's the greatness of your God the omniscience of your God hallelujah somebody said praise the Lord and then he asked the question what is his name see in his mind he knows that God is going to come in the flesh in the future. The one who has the wind in his fist. The one who puts the, gar- uh, the waters in a garment. The one who ascended and descended. He knows he's coming. But he doesn't know his name. What is his name and what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. What is His name? His name, God. What is God's name going to be when He comes in sonship? He said, can anybody tell me what His name's going to be? He didn't know what His name was going to be. He knew what the Old Testament name of God was, Yahweh, you know. But He didn't know what the New Testament name of God was going to be, Jesus, Yeshua, Savior. He didn't know it. And he said, there's coming a time when God, when deity is going to robe himself in flesh, God in sonship. Can you tell me his name when he comes? Had a desire to know that, a passion to know that, a desire to know the name of God in sonship. We know it now. It's Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he talks about the Word of God. Every Word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Every Word of God is pure. It's been, it's pure. It doesn't have anything impure in it. It doesn't have anything unholy in it. It records unholy acts. It, It doesn't have inspired lies. But it has recorded, inspired recording of those lies. God's Word is pure. God's Word is holy. God's Word has been tested in a furnace. People have challenged the Word of God. Tried to disprove the Word of God. And every time they tried to disprove the Word of God, the Word of God made them out to be a liar. You put your trust in God, His Word, this great God. The Bible said He will protect you because it's like a shield. Verse 6, Add thou not unto His Word, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. You don't add to the Word of God. You don't take away from the Word of God. The book of Revelation talks about that. If you add to the Word of God, the plagues of the book of Revelation will be added to you. If you take away from the Word of God, your name will be taken out of the Lamb's book of life. You can do that in preaching and teaching. Adding to or taking away from the Word of God. Very serious. God says He will reprove us if we do. And thou will be found a liar. Number seven. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. See, he was concerned that something would get a hold of his heart. Something would get a hold of his, his love for God. Something would replace his relationship, something we replace. If
if you will, his passion for God, his relationship with God. And he said, before I die, he said, I've got a request. Now, if you were going to make a request before you died, what would they be? What would you ask for? If you had the opportunity to ask and somebody would do something for you, what would you ask for your family? Would you ask for more cars for your family, more money for your family, bigger houses for your family? If it was time for you to die, what would be your request? Solomon says this, Two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity. First thing, vanity. He's going to talk about the two things the two major sins in a person's life that can cause you to lose your relationship with God. That can cause you to be like the generation that He's about to teach you about. The first one is vanity. Vanity, you know, vain. It's not just women that have a problem with vanity. Solomon says, I don't want vanity to come in my life. I don't want the spirit of vanity to get a hold of me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Vanity, man, it controls people in the world. They are so vain. Empty things. Empty things in life. Empty pursuits in life that replace God. Vanities in the Word of God in the Old Testament speak of idolatry. It's anything that comes in your life and causes you to have a desire for it more than you do God. Vanity. Empty things that replace God in your life. It can be anything. That relationship with God is broken. You can see an upside down triangle. The top line is you and God. And that relationship breaks that whatever causes that break in relationship, God's here and here you are, you'll begin to draw up other things into your life to replace your relationship with God. And so what Solomon says, I don't want anything to come into my life. Before I die, these are requests. I don't want empty things to come. Vanity. Vain. And then number two, lies. Vanity and lies. Uh, and then two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be what? Full. I find my satisfaction. I find my fullness in material things. And he's saying, I don't want to be satisfied with material things. I don't want that to be the purpose of my life so that I'm just pursuing after the materialistic things of this world and I become so full of that. And he says, if I, I become full and I deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Brother, you come up. Brother Tim, you come up here if you like. Who is the Lord? Got so much, man. I don't need God anymore. I don't have a passion for God anymore. 
He doesn't excite me anymore. The things of the world, man, that's what satisfies me. That's what fills me. I say, who is the Lord? I don't need God now. <laughs> or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So I don't want so much materialistic things in my life that I become full on that and deny God, but nor do I want to become, you know, I don't want, I got to be careful with riches, but I also got to be careful with rags. Because if I don't, if I don't have money, amen, to meet my needs, Solomon's, can you see this great man Solomon? He never knew a day of, of being poor. He was, he was in the, 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 the palace, man. He had everything he wanted. He, he had wealth. He had money. You understand what I'm telling you? He never knew what it was like to be poor. He never knew what it was like to be without. But he said, I don't want to get to a place. You see, I'm a king. I don't want to get to a place where you see me standing on the street corner with a beggar's cup in my hand. See, we have to be careful that we don't have so much that, that those material things in our life, man, they're what satisfies us. That's what fooling them. We come to the house of God. We don't have time for God. We're not excited about God anymore because we're so consumed with the material things of this world. And that can cause you to deny God. And then we go, come so poor. Say, God, don't let me become so poor that they see me standing on the street corners with a cup in my hand begging for money. Can you imagine seeing King Solomon? Affluent King Solomon had everything he ever wanted. Standing on a street corner with a cup in his hand begging. He said, God, don't let me get to that place in my life. Well, I got to beg and I'm, I just have rags. And I don't have my needs and I, I get so bitter and so angry with you that I curse you. Riches can cause you to deny Him. But poverty is one of the things that cause people to curse God. You say, I would never do that. Oh, really? How do you respond if you got a full bank account? You still, are you still the same? You still love God like you always have? You still pray like you always prayed? You still worship God? You would still respond to the Word of God like you always have when you got a full bank account? Maybe not because you don't need Him. You got a full bank. Also, you, a test comes to you when you're in need. I've seen people, man, I, you didn't, they didn't have to tell me what was going on in their life, but because they didn't have enough money coming in, man, you could tell. They just shut down their praise. They shut down their prayer. They weren't as on fire as they used to be because God's not meeting my needs. And they get bitter and angry toward God. I say, God, I don't want to be so rich that I find my satisfaction, my fullness in that. Nor do I want to be so poor, God, that I curse you because of my rags. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Now, I believe what that man is saying. 
I want to pray that prayer. What would you ask? If you were on your deathbed tonight, you could ask two things. What would you ask for? That man said, God, I don't want to allow vanity to get a hold of my heart and lies to get a hold of my life. Deception get a hold of me. And I don't want to get so full of wealth that I deny you and or so poor that I curse you. See, ultimately what he's saying, I want my passion to be in the right place. I can't let anything. Cause me to become apathetic. We live in America. We live in an affluent society. We live in a, in, a, in Texas, a booming economy, booming oil field, man. If you're not careful. Your money can affect your relationship with God. Let's say you say you're in need tonight. You know, you can think about the whole time I'm preaching is I have a need here and I have a need there. You know, that's all you think about. What about God? Why don't you have something for Him? Why don't you give something to Him? As I said Sunday morning, instead of coming to church, say, well, I want to go to church. They got a good choir. They got a good youth group, you know, or they got a good this or a good that. I'm just trying churches out. Are you kidding me? You don't try churches out. You pray. You find out where God wants you to be. And you stay there. You stay there. It doesn't matter if you suffer or not. You say, God, if it means me to suffer, you put me here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to serve you to the end. I have seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people come to church and had nothing. Couldn't get alone if they wanted to. They started living for God and they started going up the ladder and started getting blessed financially. And then they let pride get a hold of their hearts. You couldn't tell them anything. You get to a place where you deny God because of your affluence. And I've also seen some people who at times in their life were like poor rags, man. And they let that affect their walk with God as well. You should be on fire for God if you got, if you have, or you don't have. You should have a you should have a passion, a fire, a relationship with God. That is not conditional based on your bank account. If it if it is conditional, that means that your God is money. And your God is not money. I like what Donald J. Trump says. He said, government is not our God. He said, we don't worship government. We worship God. Government is not going to fix all the problems. An economic system is not going to fix your problems. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Politics, economics, religion is not going to fix your problems. Only God can do that. We don't worship any of that. We worship God. And we've got a passion for God. We respond to Him. We respond to His Word. We respond to a move of His Spirit. That's what we respond to. Not what we see economically. We need to pray though. That's what I've said before. And I don't know who I was talking to. But I said, you know, 
They were going through something. And I said, I don't know what it's going to take for me to get to heaven. And I meant that when I said that. That wasn't just loose talk. I don't know what it's going to take for me to get to heaven. I don't know what God's going to have to come and take out of my life that I worship as a God. I don't know what it's going to take. But I want to make it to heaven. I remember when I first got in the church, didn't even know I was called to preach. And a, and a young man in a youth group, he's on fire for God. He had a passion for God. He had a prayer life. He's a young man. And I remember going to those youth meetings, not as a youth leader, just as a as one of the youth. So I mean, 18, 19 years old, but we we still go. And and uh, this man, young man, told me, he said, you know, he said I have prayed that God would kill me. He looks at my life and sees anything in my life that'll cause me to lose my walk with Him. He said, I have prayed to God before I get that in my life that God would take me off of this planet. I don't know, brothers and sisters, but heaven is forever and hell is forever. And I don't know what it's going to take Oh yeah, we be. I serve a good God, and I don't believe that He just enjoys coming and taking everything that you got. But He also wants you to go to heaven, and I believe He's more concerned about your character than He is your happiness. He's more concerned about your relationship with Him than He is what kind of car you drive, or how much money you got in the bank, or what your status is at the job. What kind of man are you? What kind of woman are you? In the name of Jesus, America needs revival. This church needs revival. You need to get back on fire. We need to get our priorities right. To hear the word of God is to respond to it. Not to be apathetic with it. To move with the Spirit of God. To say, yes, Lord! I believe it! It's not about how I feel. It's about God. But I want to tell you something, man. If you keep on praising, you keep on worshiping, eventually you'll start feeling right. You, you might not feel right when you first got here, but if you get aligned with God, you get in a right relationship with God, you get your passion with God, you get your worship back, I promise you, before you leave, you're going to feel all right then. We just let things come in our life that steal our relationship with God. We let them come in. But I'm feeling real good right now. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is here. And His Word is powerful. His Word, God wants to change you. He wants to change me. And as I said before, you're not all gone. I'm not totally gone. I'm not totally out the door, you know. I mean, but I do recognize. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, I don't, Maybe you know, but I don't know very many people that like losers. Most everybody I know likes winners. 
How many of y'all like winners? Well, I for sure want to win for God. I don't know anybody that, well, I like that team because they're a loser. No, you're just faithful to them anyway. Right? Nobody likes a loser. Hallelujah. Uh, this church needs to be a winner. You need to be a winner for God. This church needs to be a winner for God. We don't need to be a part of a losing thing. We need to be a part of a winning thing. And you got to be a part of it. you got to get into this. you got to make it victorious. you got to make it a winner. you got to make yourself a winner. These things are coming our lives. Get the best of us before we know it, man. Apathetic. I don't care. No emotion, you know, just stoic. Can't let that spirit get a hold of us. Not if we're going to be a winner. Everybody goes through something. Everybody fights battles. Everybody experiences loss. Everybody experiences disappointment. But you got to keep fighting. Stay passionate for God. How many of y'all like a winner? I do too. I said I do too. You think as your pastor that I'm going to settle for you not being a winner? You better, you better make up. I'm going to tell you something right now. You don't have a pastor like that. I'm not going to just settle for one. You being lukewarm and carnal and half backslid. That's not the kind of pastor you've got. I want to be a winner, and I, I want you to be a winner, and God wants you to be a winner, but you're going to have to play the game. You're going to have to fight the fight. You're going to have to run the race. Amen? I was listening to a... Listen to an individual talking the other day on pastoral ethics. I'm really trying to be a better pastor. I'm trying to learn. I'm, I'm, I'm taking, studying different things, courses to help me be a better counselor and a better, based on the Word of God, a better pastor. And this man was talking about pastoral ethics. And here's what he said. He said, back in his early years, he was on a basketball team. How many of y'all like basketball? He was on a basketball team. He had height and he was pretty good. And so some people came up and said, hey, we want you to be on our basketball team. Well, he said this. He said, I kind of wondered. He said, because I really wasn't much. And he said, if they wanted me on their basketball team, they must be really bad. That's what he said. Well, he was right. He joined the basketball team, he said. And they got crushed the first game. And they played the next game, and he got crushed again. And so he said, he went to one of his friends, and one of, this guy is supposed to know a lot about basketball and, and uh, how to be successful in basketball. So he got with one of his friends, and he said, hey, would you come and watch us play basketball and tell us what we can do to be winners? So his friend went, and he watched the basketball game. And at the end of the basketball game, he met, this, met with this guy, and here's what he said. He said, you need to change teams. He said, you need to change teams. He said, because they don't have desire 
to play at the level they're supposed to play at. They don't have the desire to do that. So you're going to have to change teams. I'm not looking to change teams. I'm looking for a winner in this house. And God is calling you. God is reaching for you to get on fire and to fight this fight. I don't believe God wants you to be a loser. He doesn't want me to be a loser. God called you to be a winner. So you better line up and say, God, I'm here to win. I'm here to win. I'm here to win. And I'm going to do what I got to do to win. I'm not changing teams. I'm here to win. But the whole point, brothers and sisters, when that expert looked at that team, if he would have seen desire and passion to play at the level they were supposed to, he would look at his friends and say, stay here, here's what they need to do. But there was no desire. It was gone. How many of them want to win? you got to have a desire. And Solomon's talking about these things that can come and rob you of that desire. Ask yourself tonight. I'm not going to ask you. Are you still on fire tonight? you got a passion for God? Are you full of the Holy Ghost? I know, I know some of you have been fighting a long time. I've been fighting a few years myself. Okay? Yeah. No excuses. No excuses. No excuses. So those two things, he said, this is what I, he said, I don't want to get full. I don't want to get full. I don't want to get satisfied. How'd you, how'd you get here? Did you walk? Michelle went and got you? Oh, man, you're something. You're like a visible. You went out, got him, picked him up, brought him here. I told him earlier, I said, I'm going to tell Sister Michelle, don't go pick him up, make him walk. <laughs> Praise the Lord, man, here you are. How many of y'all want to win? Then we have to have the proper desire. Come on, somebody, say praise God. God wants you to win. The devil's a loser. God's a winner. You want to be a loser, you join the devil's team. You want to be a winner, get on God's team. I don't want to be so poor I deny him. I don't want to be so poor that I curse him. Somebody said, pray. you can pray like that. But I don't know what, what it's going to take for God to get me to heaven. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? Peter said, what did he say? He said, if it takes the discipline act, discipline act of God, if God's got to spank his kids to prepare them for heaven, what's he going to do with the world that have rejected him? God will get on our case sometime. God will spank us. Why? Because he wants you to be in heaven. He wants me to be in heaven. Say praise the Lord. I told you God. God gave us a prophetic answer today in his word. 
He goes on and says, Accuse not a servant unto his master, lest he curse thee, and thou be found guilty. Watch about, watch out accusations. You know, I, I'm, I'm, boy, I could spend a little time on that, but I don't. Just watch out accusations. Watch out, watch out accusing. Amen. Verse 11. Here we go. There's a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There, it's a specific generation. Jesus talked about in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. An end time generation. A generation that would be on the, in the world before He comes back. And so this, if you'll notice, it says there is a generation. It is a specific generation that He's speaking to prophetically. It is the end time church that He's speaking to. And He says to that church, here's what it's going to be like. You're going to have... Here, that generation is going to curse their father and, and doth not bless their mother. You're going to have a generation that is not going to respect those who have the oversight in their life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? No wonder Jesus said, because iniquity or rebellion shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Generation today, you should be blessing your parents. You should be honoring your parents. You shouldn't be disrespecting them. But God, Jesus said there'd be a generation like that. You know, verse 12 there is a generation that is pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. A generation that thinks they're okay. A generation that thinks they're okay, but they're not washed. A generation that's given to disobedience and sin. A generation. Think about the generation, brothers and sisters. This generation is bombarded with all kinds of filth. Movies and music and you name it. I'm okay. I'm okay. going against the word of God man and still I'm okay you understand that generation that we're in right now thanks they're okay but God said you're filthy sinful filthy sinful things in your life say it's not bad got a passion have a passion, more of a passion for the things of the world, the filth of the world, than we have for God. You understand what I'm telling you? Where's your passion? What turns you on? What sets you on fire? You can have a conviction for your sin. Say, no, it's, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm all right. Don't you know the lifestyle that you're practicing or the lifestyle that somebody you know or your family's practicing according to the Word of God will send you to hell? We're okay. Total disrespect. First one, total disrespect for authority. Fathers and mothers. Think they're okay when they're filthy. Verse 13, there's a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. 
generation is so full of pride. See their eyelids lifted up, their eyes lifted up. What does that mean? They're walking around self-righteous. Self, the righteousness is not based on the Word of God. It's not based on God, what He says. It's based on what they think. I'm righteous. Stop judging me. Don't judge me. Are y'all with me here today? Verse 14. There's a generation whose teeth are swords. A generation that will, that will cut you to pieces with their mouth. A generation that speaks evil, that slanders, that gossips, that speaks lies with their mouth. Are you hearing me today? He said their speech. It's like a sword, man. It'll cut you to pieces. Evil talk, bad talk. Their jaw teeth are knives to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among men. You think about it right now, brothers and sisters. The amount of people who join gangs, man. Violent gangs. Destructive gangs. What you need to do is get a passion for God and join the church of the living God and fight the good fight of faith. So what we see, we look at this as we see people that are governed by very little commitment. They're, they're not committed to anything. They're lukewarm. They're half-cocked. They don't have a passion for God. They walk around and talk about they're right and they're, when they're wrong. They talk about when they're, they're clean and they're not clean. Are you here? They use bad and evil words and gossip. Are you all here? Just cut people to, to pieces with their mouths. You understand what I'm telling you? Very little commitment. To what? To values. People don't have values anymore. We, we should have, what do you value? I have values. Do you have value? Do you have things that are important to you? Things you're not going to sell by the truth and sell it not? I'm not going to, this is not for sale. Say praise God. And I will say this, I thank God for some of you. Because you saw some of your friends uh, go, throw away holiness. Let me put it to you that way. I want to be nice. You saw them throw away holiness. But you said, not me. I'm not walking with you. So I commend you for that. Because that means that something's valuable to you. Your holiness is valuable to you. But a generation with no honor. Won't even honor the mother and the father. A generation with no honor. Generation, no respect. A generation, no value. A generation that's not hungry for the things of God. Say praise the Lord. He didn't die for religion. I'll say he didn't die for religion. He don't want you coming up in here and being religious. He didn't die for that. He died for you. Do we hunger for him? Do we thirst for him? Do we respect authority? Say praise God. Are we apathetic? If you're not careful the longer you live for him, man, you can get in this place of apathy. Hallelujah. So I can too, man. I got to find the fire. I have, I have to find the fire to stand in the pulpit and preach. You gotta find the fire to stay in the church house. You gotta find the fire to respond to the word of God. You got to start moving with God. 
Get your honor back. Get your hunger back. Get your thirst back. Get your response back. Pride will get the best of us. But here's the good news. He talks about his apathetic generation. No commitment, no value, no honor, no desire. Then he does something really awesome. He gives you an antidote. And I can preach it. I can preach it both ways. I can preach it a negative way because the grave is, a, is not a good place. Are you here? And a horse leech is not a good thing. So I can preach it on the negative side, but I'm going to preach it in this context. That he just got through telling you about a generation, and that's the generation you're living in right now. And maybe what he just said tonight was you. Maybe what he just said prophetically is me. But then he says, here's the antidote for apathy. Here's, here's what you need. If you allow, if this prophetic word needs to be heard by you, here's the answer. Here's the, how many of y'all want an antidote for your sickness? God gave us an antidote for our apathy. I told Christina last night when I saw that, I said, God just told me. God gave me a message to preach to this church. Hallelujah. An antidote for your apathy. relationship with God so what do I do well verse 15 the horse leech has two daughters and then he talks about four unsatisfied things he's going to tell you don't get satisfied don't ever get satisfied here's the antidote for apathy the horse leech has two daughters crying give give the horse leech you want the horse leech is you know we're, we're moving up in this time of the year right now you lord god have mercy on you if you celebrate halloween but i'm not preaching messing on halloween tonight but you know what just jacinius one of the greatest hebrew scholars as far as interpreting words said that this word horse leech can be interpreted as vampire So you talk about the time we're living in right now? Vampires? I'm preaching you about a vampire. But let's don't preach about the vampire. That's what he said. What does a vampire do? Suck. What does a vampire do? Suck blood. Who is a vampire? Somebody that, that gets up in the nighttime out of their coffin who committed suicide. They killed themselves. Or they're a murderer, murderer of people. So they go to, they put them in the coffin, they get up at night and they go searching, looking around to, to find people to suck their blood out of their bodies. And the vampire can't get enough blood. They'll go from one victim to another victim to another victim. But let me just leave it in the King James vernacular, the horse leech. The horse leech, you, Adele, you seen the leeches over there in, in Zambia? Any? No? Okay. I, was, I mean, praise God. Z leeches get on your skin, man. They just suck, suck blood, suck blood, right? And so what he's saying is this. If you want to be victorious over this apathetic spirit, then you have to be like the horse leech. And the horse leech has two daughters. 
and they cry, give, give. That means when you come in the presence of God, you say, give me more, God. Give me more, God. Not money, you. I want more of you, God. I want more of your word, God. Give me, give me, give me, give me. And a horse leech, when a horse leech gets on a horse, gets up in its nostrils and locks down in its nostrils, and it climbs up in its ear, up in its nose, you know, and it creates an obstruction with the blood up in there. You understand what I'm saying? What I'm trying to tell you, a horse leech won't let go. And this is the attitude. He's showing you this is the attitude that you and I have to have in serving God. I won't let go of you, God. I'm going to be like a horse leech. I will not let you go. And I'll say, God, give me, give me, give me. I'm not satisfied. Give me more. Somebody said, praise the Lord. I feel God in this house. How many got the attitude of a horse leech? I'm not going to let him go. I'm going to say, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And he goes on, he says, after he talks about the horse leech, he says, there are three things that are never satisfied. You know, he, Solomon talked about being full with riches and he would deny him. He said, now he said, no. He said, here's some things, the attitude we're supposed to have. They'll never get full. Never get full. Never. They never get satisfied. Never, 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 never get satisfied. The first one is the grave. The grave never gets satisfied. Almost 5,000 people died in less than an hour when the Twin Towers came down in New York City but the grave never is satisfied it always is hungry for more you gotta be like the grave hungry for more I'm hungry for more I'm not satisfied hallelujah but death can't be satisfied I can't be satisfied I want more 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 say praise God don't let me do all the preaching. You help me preach tonight. Don't let me do all the professing and confessing tonight. You stand up and you say, I want more. I got enough death in my life. I need life to come into my. I need life in my family. I need life in my home. I need life in my children. I'm tired of death. But I'm hungry like death. Say praise the Lord. One place the Bible says, the grave opens its mouth without measure. This is the attitude that we're supposed to have. I'm going to open my mouth without measure. I'm going to be like Brian Bartimaeus. I've got a need tonight. And I've got to get his attention tonight. He's going to walk by me tonight unless I get his attention. So I'm going to say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. 
And the Bible said Jesus stopped in his tracks and went and healed Bartimaeus of his blindness. But you got to open your mouth like a blind Bartimaeus and get God's attention. And you're not going to get you're not going to get his attention by sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. You're going to get his attention by opening your mouth without measure. Like the church of Laodicea, we're blind. We're naked. And sometimes we say. We have need of nothing. Bartimaeus was blind and he was naked. All he had was the coat that the Roman government gave to him for beggars to give him a license to beg. He threw that, he threw that beggar's coat off. I don't want what the Roman government gives me to beg. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I know I'm blind. I know I'm naked. I know I'm rich and increased with goods. But Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on this church. We know we're blind. We know we're naked. We know we're increased with goods. But Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He can heal my blindness. He can clothe me with the garments of salvation. In the name, 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 in the name. We know, Lord, we have come up short. We know we're not what we're supposed to be. But like the grave, we open our mouth without measure. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. God's not going to come till you sit around and feel sorry for yourself. It's when you call on him, open your mouth without measure. He'll hear you. Seek him. If you seek him with all of your heart, he said, then you'll find him. Then you'll find him. You say, I haven't been able to find him, Pastor. Have you opened up your mouth without measure? Are you seeking him with all your heart? He promised, he promised you that you would find him. He promised, he promised. The grave. Then he says, the attitude we should have, the barren wound, the barren wound. We have, we have three natural things. We have the grave. We have fire. Amen. And we have water. That's going to be talked about here today. Three natural things. But right now he's talking about an unnatural thing. It's not natural for a woman to be barren. But the most desperate of all the three, more desperate than the grave, more desperate than fire, and more desperate than water that can't be satisfied is a barren womb. Because it's not natural. When a woman wants a child and she can't have a child, there's nothing more desperate than that. Are y'all here with me today? And so what did Rachel say? Rachel, who was barren, said, 
Give me children. Lest I die. And God stepped in. Are y'all here? And gave Rachel. Are y'all with me here? Give God some praise. Children. Sarah was barren. But God miraculously gave her a son. Hannah was barren. But God gave her a prophet. God brought a son out of the barren ground of the barren earth when he made Adam. God can take the barren earth and make a son. When God gets ready to bless the earth with revival, he'll reach down and touch Elizabeth who was barren and give Elizabeth a John the Baptist. Because you see, God loves people that have an attitude of a barren womb. Said, God, give me children, lest I die. Lord Jesus, we need revival. Give me a John the Baptist. Are y'all with me here today? Give God some praise. Sarah was given a promise, but she didn't have a son, and God supernaturally gave her a son. You know what God is saying? This is amazing to me. But tonight, you might be withered like the withered womb. The womb that cannot produce. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place before in your life where you feel like a withered womb that can't produce. But God says, those are the kind of people that I can change. God wants to change a Hannah and give her a son a prophet. God wants to change Elizabeth and give her a Bible through a John the Baptist. Are y'all with me? God is a powerful God who can do these things. If I have a passion for him, like a barren woman, and cry out to God, God, you see I'm withered. I feel like a womb I can't produce anymore. Just dead. God, but I know one thing. The desperate call will get your attention. And Lord, you're able to change me. Change me and cause me to produce. Let me tell you this. When God gets ready to bring a prophet into a barren world, he brings it out of a barren womb. Because God doesn't want you to get the glory. He doesn't want me to get the glory. He, he gets the glory. Are you like a woman tonight? Tonight I'm not talking genderly. Are you, I'm, I'm like a woman tonight. I'm saying, give me children or I'm going to die. Somebody said amen. Praise the Lord. There's nothing more desperate than a barren woman. That's the attitude you should have when you come to church. I've got to have that attitude when I come to church. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. The other things he talks about, the other two things he talks about here. He says this. The earth that is filled with water, they're never satisfied. The earth filled with water, never satisfied. 
You look at that ocean, brothers and sisters, and tons and tons and tons of water can be dropped on an ocean in a moment's time. And typhoon after typhoon can come and flood the inlands and dump tons and tons of water. But that ocean never gets full. It's constantly saying, give me more. Give me more. That's the attitude you got to have. you got to have that attitude of an ocean that can't get enough water. I can't get it. I'm thirsty. I'm What's he telling you tonight? You gotta stay thirsty. You gotta stay thirsty. But you say, I'm thirsty for the living water. I'm thirsty. Stay thirsty. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Stay thirsty. And the next one is a natural thing also. He said, The fire. The fire can never be satisfied. How I many you know tonight the fires of hell are not satisfied? The fires of hell tonight are not satisfied. You can't satisfy the fires of hell. There's never a time when hell says, I'm too full. You can't come in here. There's never a time when hell will say to anybody, says, take your cell phone and call home and get out of here. There are no cell phones in hell. There are no, con uh, con there are no, are y'all with me here today? Collect calls in hell. You get there, you can't get out. And hell can't be filled up. They're not going to say, if you go there, they're not going to meet you at the door and say, you know what, we're too full, you can't come in here. They're going to say, come on in here, because we can't get enough. And you've got to have a passion for fire in your bones, praise God. You've got to have a passion. Hell's got a passion to take you down. Hell's got a passion to pull you down. You gotta have a passion to get back up. God pull you up. You gotta get back up. Hell's not satisfied until hell comes and takes me. Hell comes and takes every one of you. Every one of us. Hell wants to take every one of us. It's not satisfied. Not satisfied till he gets Pastor Jerry Carter. He's not satisfied till he gets Timothy Control. He's not satisfied. Hell's not satisfied till he'll get you, man. So you got to have something on the inside of you that's not satisfied like fire. You, you take a you take a log and you throw a log on a fire, and that fire will burn it up. You throw another log on the fire, it'll burn it up. You throw another log, it never is satisfied. Praise God. This is the attitude you got to have. You got to have the attitude of the horse leech that says, I'm not going to let go. Give me, give me. You got to have the attitude. Are y'all with me here today? Of the grave that says, I want more. You got to have the attitude of a barren woman that is desperate. Are y'all with me here today? You got to have the attitude of water, of land that can't be satisfied I won't I'm thirsty I'm thirsty I'm thirsty for more fire the attitude of fire I can't get enough of the fire of God in my life would you lift your hands and praise him hallelujah Lord Jesus Hallelujah! 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 H
The hungrier you are, the more you'll get fed. The thirstier you are, the more you'll get drink. The more desperate you are, the more you will give birth to. The more you cry, give, give, the more you'll receive. running out he doesn't run out of blessing he doesn't run out of spirit he doesn't run out of love he doesn't run out of mercy he doesn't run out of power how much you want of God how much you want of him tonight how much you want of him come on come on come on how much you want of him how many want him with everything you got come on come on come on come on desire here tonight. This is the real deal, man. right he's the lover of your soul he's the lover of your soul he is your God he is the God that is with you he is the God that will enable you he's given you a prophetic word tonight brothers and sisters let me say this to you when I began the message tonight I told you how disappointed I am and how discouraged I am but let me just let you know that's a good thing because that means I'm not satisfied I'm not satisfied and you shouldn't be either and you're not and you're not and you're not Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
Bless your name, King. Bless your name, King. Thank you for this prophetic word, God, to this end time generation. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hungry and thirsty. Hungry and thirsty. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to be a loser in this. And I'm not going to pastor a losing church. And I'm not going to let you lose. And you're not going to let me lose. You need me and I need you. I'm not going to let you lose and you're not going to let me lose. You hear what I'm telling you? We're not going to play that game. No, when I got God, you have God. Come on, we are on the winning side. All we need is more desire. That's it. That's all we need is more desire, desperation for an awesome God. That's all we need. He talks about the eye here in verse 17 that I come to a close that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother. Going back to that generation again that does not respect the oversight in their life. He says, this is what's going to happen to that generation of dishonor. The, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young lions shall eat it. See what happens, what happens to us and, and you know, this is interesting to me in the Old Testament when you had a son or a daughter that rebelled against the parents in the home. You know what the law said? The law said you take them out and you stoned them to death. Now what I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, is that that wasn't with the first time offense. It was an over and over and over offense where this person, this mother and father, gets to a place, they say, we can't do nothing with them. And at that point, the law says, bring them out and stone them to death because we can't have that kind of passion in the kingdom. We can't have that kind of fire in the kingdom. We can't have that kind of, are y'all in the here? Zeal in the kingdom. A zeal against the parents. So bring them out and stone them to death. But here's what I want you to see. There's not one record in the whole Bible where that was ever done. Not one time was that ever done in Scripture. You understand what I'm telling you? So then why did God say that? If it was never done, not one time. The reason why God said that, He says, anybody that wants to walk that path, listen, what's going to happen is, over a period of time, here you hear, 
over a period of time, you get that spirit about you, the disrespect for authority in your life, in a general statement, not just mother and father, but in a general statement, what will happen to you is the ravens will begin to come and pick your eyes out. What does he mean by that? He means demonic spirits will begin to work in your life. That's ravens. And after the demonic spirits get through working in your life, and they peck at your eyes long enough. See, that's the last thing the bird does is peck the eye to see if the person is alive before they start eating them. Is there enough life in you tonight if a spirit comes by and pecks your eye? Woo, you say, no, I'm still alive. Get away from my vision. I have prophetic vision. Get away from my vision. You're not going to pick my eye because I'm not dead yet. But you can walk in a spirit of rebellion. And if you do, spirits will begin to work in you and they're going to check you out, man. They're going to check what your vision is. If you're still alive, you'll pull back your head. But here's the point. Is after the rebellion comes and the, the ravens or the demonic spirits come in your life and they begin to work in your life, the next thing that will happen to you eventually, not right off, but eventually is possible death. But God is very merciful and very gracious. He doesn't just, he doesn't just come down. That's why you don't have a record of any, of that ever happening to any child in Israel. And you know there were a lot of rebellions there. Because God is merciful. But what he did, he said, this is a general way to look at things. Is that rebellion first, then ravens or demonic spirits, and then death. And God wants you to wake up. Because the book of Proverbs is a commentary on God's law. So you, you and I need to make sure that we don't let any of that stuff get in, that kind of passion get inside of us, that kind of zeal, that kind of fire, that kind of spirit. Don't you dare let that happen because there will be ravens that will come and peck at your eyes. Are they still alive? You still see vision in your eyes. And if they don't see vision, if they don't see prophetic vision in you, then they'll go in for the kill. Without a vision, the people perish. Everybody said, praise the Lord. That's the kind of fire that God don't want in His house. The Bible calls it strange fire. He don't want that kind of fire going on. Are you with me here? Give God some praise. Amen. So you got to stay with your eyes wide open. you got to stay hungry and thirsty for God, crying out for God, walking in the Spirit. If you don't, the natural, the natural path, brothers and sisters, is this. Are y'all here today? Woo! But God gave you an antidote tonight for apathy. Keep, keep running, keep running, keep running. Keep leaping, leaping, leaping. Keep shouting, shouting, shouting. Keep praying, praying, praying. Keep singing, singing, singing. Keep living, living, living. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. And as soon as he gets through with that, and he talks about three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. Now he deals with intimacy. 
Come on, somebody. I know I could, I could stop right here because we already had a move of God, but I'm going to finish this tonight. Intimacy has passion. Int- I will say it again. Intimacy has passion. He gives you four things that are too wonderful for him. And the fourth one is the main point. And he talks about movement between two things. The fourth one is the main point. Movement between two things. He talks about a man and a maid in intimacy. But before he gets to that, he talks about three other things that move between two things. Okay? Things that move between two things. The first thing he says is an eagle in the midst of the air. Look at it. The way of an eagle in the air. Are you with me here? The movement between two things. The movement of the eagle in the air. What does he mean by that? It's too wonderful for me, he said. He's still talking about how to be victorious over that generation. What is this eagle in the air? What does it speak of? It speaks of the separation of the church. I don't, you can talk to me all day long and you can say we don't need holiness and we don't need all that. I'm going to look at you every time and say you're wrong, wrong, wrong. Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. An eagle in the air, the movement between two things, the air and the eagle, is what distinguishes the eagle. Because if you see an eagle on the ground, if you were to look at an eagle on the ground, you can't tell it's an eagle if it's on the ground. It'll look like a buzzer to you if it's on the ground. But you see an eagle way up there almost so high you can't even see. You know when it's in the air. That's an eagle. You with me here? So when you and I are too close to the world, we're not in the air. We can't tell the difference between you and a buzzer. But when you mount up with the wings as an eagle and you let the Spirit of God lift you higher and higher and higher, the bones, the bones in an eagle are lighter than its feathers. And it, as long as it lifts its wings out, that wind will carry it up, 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 up. All you got to do is lift up, lift, uh, spiritually speaking, spread your wings and let the Spirit of God lift you up higher. Separate yourself from this world and stop living like a buzzard because you're an eagle. But the only way I can tell you're an eagle is when you live a separated life unto God and fly in the heavens. The next thing, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the movement between two things, the way of a serpent upon a rock, a serpent is just a snake without the rock. Serpent. In the wintertime, it'll go into hibernation. In the fall, spring, excuse me, spring, it comes out and it moves. Spring and summer, it moves to a rock ever so slowly. And it gets on top of that rock. And when that snake gets on that rock, the warmth of the sun causes the temperature of the blood of the snake to rise. And it begins to move like a serpent on the rock. And so what God is saying is this. 
is you and I have to not like only the, like the eagle be separated from the world. We have to stay connected to the rock. So this picture is a picture of dedication and consecration to God. Because without the rock, you're just a sinner. Without the rock, the serpent is just a snake. But because I've got the rock, Christ Jesus, in my life, and I'm consecrated and dedicated unto him with my life, now I've got the warmth of my blood flowing in me, and I'm, a, I'm moving now in the Spirit. Give God praise in this house. You have to stay connected to the rock or you're just a sinner. But I thank God tonight I'm connected to my rock and because I am, that dedication, that consecration allows me to move, allows me to have life. The next thing, a ship in the midst of the sea. The movement between two things, the ship in the midst of the sea. The mystery of that. A ship doesn't do any good in the backyard. Okay. Okay, and I'm I'm all cool with it. If you want to go and buy a boat, I don't have a problem with that. But I don't have any idea why anybody in West Texas want to buy a boat. You got to drive and drive and drive and drive to find a pond. Okay, so for the most part, you know, I mean, if you're living on the lake, buy a boat. Here's your new boat. But you live in West Texas, Odessa, Texas, man. What are you gonna do? You're gonna park it in the backyard. Well, a boat doesn't do any good parked in the backyard. And you're like a ship in the midst of the sea. The move between two things. Get out of the backyard and get back in the sea. Get back in the ocean. And when you get back in the ocean, then you'll become valid. Then you'll become, come on somebody. You'll be useful to God then if you'll get back out there where you're supposed to be and let the banner fly, the flag fly that says I'm under the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ and carry cargo to the people of this world. The glory from the glory land called heaven. You have cargo from the glory land that you're carrying to this earth but you gotta get out of the backyard and you gotta be a ship bringing some cargo to some people. Give God some praise in this house. You do that, I promise you, man. You'll, you'll get passion. Yeah, because I'm, I, you know what? You're carriers of the glory from the glory land. Amen. Say, praise God. I got, I'm carrying glory tonight. There's a lot, there's a lot more to it, but I'm going to keep going. Okay, here we go. But here's the point. Is those first three Point to this last one. And the way of a man with a maid. The movement between two things. Intimacy, brothers and sisters. Separation, dedication to God. Getting out there in the sea and, and taking glory to people like you're supposed to. Are y'all with me? That's what it's all about. But you need an intimacy like a man with a maiden. When Jesus Christ came into this world, He came to die so He would have a bride. Hallelujah. There's movement. You with me? The mystery of a man with a maiden. The movement between two things. When a man that is married to a woman moves in intimacy to her, 
the way this Bible teaches, this verse teaches, is that there is automatic response from the maiden. When the Spirit of God moves in intimacy with His church, it is a given that you will respond. How can it be when your bridegroom moves on you that you don't respond to him if you're his bride? The movement between two things. Are y'all with me here tonight? God wants you to be intimate with him. He has a bride. And I'm looking at part of that bride. And I hope I'm looking at all of you part of the bride. And if you're a part of the bride, you desire to respond to your bridegroom. It's, just, it's a given that you do that. And you desire for him to come. And he desires to come tonight. And as your bridegroom, he protects you. As your bridegroom, he cares for you. As your bridegroom, he provides for you. As your bridegroom, even when you don't feel his touch, or sometimes you don't think you hear his voice, he says to you, I love you. You with me? You know what? You're having problems in your marriage. You know what? You got you to get the intimacy back. You got to get the relationship back. Say, praise the Lord, church. Same thing with God. Separation, the eagle in the air. Dedication and consecration, the serpent on the rock, connected to your rock, warned by the true, the true fire of God's Spirit, the Son of Righteousness, the ship in the sea, bringing cargo from glory to people. Amen. With the banner of Jesus Christ in our life and the intimacy of a bride that's waiting for the bridegroom to come back. Are you waiting for him to come back? Are you still in love with him tonight? Well, they, y'all got quiet on that one. Why did you get quiet on that one? Y'all always get like you get embarrassed. Say amen. You shouldn't get embarrassed about things like that. The Bible talks about when, when he created man and woman, they brought, he brought them together. He said they were not ashamed. And, and really what he said is there's a face-to-face encounter between the man and the woman. And there should not be any shame in the face-to-face. Only if you're not married. But if you're not, if you are married, no shame in the face to face. They were not ashamed. If you're ashamed of that, there's something screwy. Okay? And then there's the side by side too. That means you work together. You got the face to face and the side by side. But anyway, let me go on. I'm going to preach another message. But I. <laughs> you need to get your intimacy back, man. Your relationship back. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. Some of y'all look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you laughing about, Timmy? What are you laughing about? You're going to preach this one day. And you're not even going to give me credit for it. 
Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> is it beautiful, isn't it? And then he, then he goes on and he says, but then he talks about another way, a contrary way, the passion of a harlot. That's not the kind you want. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. See, when she gets through with this so-called passion, it's counterfeit, it's false, like false religions, false churches. You with me? So I haven't done anything wrong. Wipe the mouth off, right? You know what that's teaching? Shows you how deceived the person is. Deception. I haven't done anything wrong. Everything's all right. You know, and you know what would be... What's interesting is that in the Hebrew words, when it talks about this woman wiping her mouth, there are vowels in that word, not vowels, uh, consonants in that, in those words that are M, have M in it, P in it, and B in it. When you say M, say M, everybody. M. What happens? You do it with your mouth. Say P. P. You say it with your mouth. Say B. B. You say it with your mouth. It's interesting in the Hebrew, and I, I didn't bring it up here for you, but I don't even think I could pronounce it. But it's about that long. And it's full of M and B and P sound. So that God is showing you, by the even the language, what kind of woman this is. It's related to her mouth. She goes out and does her thing, then I haven't done anything wrong. You with me here? Deception. Then 21, for three things the earth is disquieted and the four which it cannot bear. These are some trouble, some things that are troubling. And it started with this woman here above it. What is troubling? What's a problem? Will the servant when he reigneth and a fool when he is filled with meat? Why? Because they're not qualified. So that brings trouble. For an odious woman when she is married and a handmaid that, it, that is heir to her mistress. That's, that's a problem, isn't it? When you've got an odious woman that's married, you know what a, a woman that's odious means? She stinks. Not literally. Look at me smile. I didn't say you stink. Odious means she's full of hatred. She's a hater. You marry a hater, you got a problem, man. Amen? Because that's the wrong kind of passion. Then you got a fool, I mean, we got a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. Yeah, that, that don't work too good. That'll be a problem. And then verse 24, there'll be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. Amen? Amen. Little, these things teach us things about living for the Lord, how to be wise, how to, how to li live effective for God. Not just passionate, but effective for God. The first one is the ant. They're little. They're not smart. They're not wise. But they live in such a way that produces excellence in their life. They prepare for the future. Well, how about the coney? The coney are but feeble folk, little, little, little feeble conies. They make their houses in the rocks. You know? Little insignificant, dumb little animal. But it makes its house in the rocks. You know that little animal's got little suction cups on its feet so it can climb on the rocks? <laughs> Even though they're little video, you know, nothing's really basically. God equipped them with these little suction cups so they can climb. They can make their house in the rocks. 
I might be a little insignificant thing in the world, but I believe God put me some little suction cups on my feet, man, so I can walk among the rocks. Amen. Amen. See, God's trying to show you, you don't have to be something really big. You don't have to be the smartest in the world to, do, to, to be passionate for God, to get things done. You'll be like an ant and be effective. You'll be like a coney. Amen. With suction cups on his feet. And live among the rocks. Or you can be like uh, the locusts, verse 27. They have no king, yet they go for all of them by bands. They have no king. Like an ant, a locust is dumb as it can be. It's not wise, it's stupid. Locusts is stupid. Stupid as that. But what does it do? It gets together with a, with a bunch of other stupid people. I mean, a bunch of other stupid locusts. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Other stupid locusts are not too smart, too wise. And they band together. And man, when you've got a bunch of them together in unity. Man, that little dumb locust, it can do a lot if it gets together in unity. So you don't have to be smart or big. Just get in unity. Hallelujah. Like the locusts. Amen? Right? The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Little old significant spider. You with me? The little spider said, the little spider could say, I'm just so small and I'm not very strong. She doesn't use that as an excuse. The spider doesn't use her weakness as an excuse for her effectiveness. Even though she's small, she says, I'm going to go into the king's palaces and I'm going to spin my web, man, and I'm going to put my hands over there in the king. You with me here? So what God is trying to show you here, you might be small like the spider, but don't use, don't ever use smallness as an excuse for not being effective in life. Hallelujah. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel good. I feel good all over better than I do anywhere else. Stop making excuses. Well, I ain't big, you know, I ain't important. Really? God's showing you. Showing me. Showing me. You're probably big. You're, you're big. I'm, I'm one of these, okay? There'll be three things which go well. Yay. Four are comely and going. Say so they go well. How many want things to go well? Man, we got a lion. If it's going to go well, what do you got to have? You got to be like a lion. You got to have courage. Lion has a lion has courage. Jared, say praise the Lord, Jared. Good to see you, brother. Lion, which is the strongest among beasts, and turneth not away from any. Courage, you got to have that. It's going to go well with you. You know, retreat. What is a retreat? Verse thirty-one: A greyhound, a he goat, and a king against whom there is no rising up. These things go well. Say, praise the Lord. What's the first one? Greyhound. Speed. What's the next one? He go. Agility. What's the next one? Authority. These things go well. You get courage. You get speed. You get agility. And walk in authority. It'll go well with you. Verse 32, if thou hast done foolishly, it lifted up thy voice. Or if thou hast thought evil, lay thy hand upon thy mouth. 
Yeah, you start talking down and, you know, man, God help me. So put your hand on your mouth. Shut up, man. Get the word of God. Get the word of God. Change your thinking. Change your stinking thinking. Get your passion back for the Lord. I understand that he uses small things. Amen. Say praise God. Not just big things. And But you need courage. You need speed, agility, spiritually speaking, and authority in your life. And you don't have this stuff in your life. You've been talking against all that. You need to put your hand on and just, Lord, forgive me. I've just been stupid. Yeah, have you ever done this? Say, Lord, I've just been so stupid with my talking. You're such a great God. You hold the wind with your fist. You, you bind the, the waters in a garment. I have limitations, but he doesn't. Closing, verse 33. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter. And the right ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. So the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. He's just telling you with that. There's predictable, predictable outcomes. And I want the right outcome Amen. in my life. And I know you do too as well. Amen. So I'm going to, okay, would you stand? I'm going to let you go home. Can you believe it's only 940? I'm going to let you go home. This is a prophetic word for an end time church. God knew the battle that we we're going to face. He knew the battle that we as a church are going to face. He knew the battle each of you individually were going to, would face. If you lose your desire, your passion, your honor, your respect, your thirst, your hunger for the things of God. And God said, I got the antidote for you right here in the Word of God. I'm going to let you go. But I want you to carry this prophetic word with you like the two students, Ithiel and Ukul, did after Agar, the son of Jacob, gave them this message. I want you to walk out with it in your heart. I want you to walk in it. Not just out, but in it. In it. Walk in it and believe it. How many got, how many got your desire back tonight? I got my desire back. I got my desire back, brothers and sisters, last night. Man. When I read that, I said, God, you have the answer. That's it right there. I just need to turn it on, man. I need to turn it on. I need to turn it on. Say praise the Lord. If you're hungry, He'll feed you. If you're thirsty, He'll give you drink. Depending on how, how hungry you are, how thirsty you are, it determines how much you'll receive from Him. You'll never overextend God. Never. Never. See that door back there where Sister Michelle's standing? Guard, like an angel of the Lord back there. Look at that door. If you don't have one, you can't see there's a door over there, right? Okay. You know what? You can only receive the same amount that goes out. You don't ever give. You come to church and you never give anything. You never respond to the Word. Amen. Or by desire. Guess what? You can only receive what you give out. And if you don't ever give anything, you'll never receive anything. Amen. Amen. But let's look like Barnabas. Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. I know I'm blind. I know I'm wretched. I know I'm I know where I am, God. I got it tonight. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray blessing upon this church tonight. Hallelujah, Father God. 
Thank you, Lord, for setting us on fire once again. Thank you for your awesome word tonight that's been tried. It's purified. God, nothing can be said against it. Lord, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise, and the worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Slap somebody on the back and say, praise the Lord. Not, just not too hard. Love y'all. God bless you. God bless you. We'll see you.